as I was preparing for our time together in the Word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, continuing through a, 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 a short letter that reminds us what it takes to, to plant and to grow the gospel in the lives of others. That now there's kind of a unique situation thrust upon us. And at that time, at that time that this is thrust upon us, we find ourselves in chapter 4. And chapter 4 addresses how a people of faith and love and hope relate to others around us. By others around us, I mean people who do not yet know our faith in God through Jesus our love like Christ for others that would even lend us to give ourselves away for the sake of others as he did for us. Our hope in his future, his coming, his eternity that causes us to hold the things of this life in open hands. But our community and our nation are full of people that do not share that faith, hope, and love. So how do we as a people of faith and love and hope relate to people around us. Now I say that's actually the topic of chapter 4. But am I, am I laying that over or is that actually surfaced from, from Paul himself? Well first let me remind you that when Paul introduces this church to us, he, he describes them from what he heard back from Timothy, from what he knew when he was among them, and then Timothy has confirmed that it has continued, it has grown, it has only increased that their and, and, and he rejoices in chapter 1, verses three, th- three, th- in, in, in verse 3, he, he thanks God for this. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. He begins to describe then in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 what it took, where that came from, what, what fosters that. But at the end of that first chapter, he circles around at that same point again. What is their work of faith? Is that they turn to God from idols and Him they would trust. What is, their, what is their labor of love? That they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And the steadfastness of their hope is that they would wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, who delivers us from coming wrath. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. And now we come to the, if I were to refine, well, let me, let me back up. Let me, let me give an overview of chapter 4. Let me change my order just a little bit. It's okay because I didn't give you an outline or anything up front, so you don't even know I'm changing. On the fly. Let's look at the overview of chapter 4. Chapter 4 specifically addresses a people of faith, a people of love, and a people of hope. Now, the hope one is easy. That's the last section, verses 13 to 18 of chapter 4. And there, in the midst of those who are dying for their faith in Jesus, some of them might be dying of natural causes, some of them might be dying from a coronavirus of one sort or another, some of them in Thessalonica at that time are certainly dying from... They're dying from, because of persecution, because of their faith in Jesus. What's happening to them? We thought the kingdom was coming. And Paul assures them that Jesus is coming. That even those who died aren't going to miss anything. That they will be caught up together. We will be caught up together with them and we'll meet our Lord in the air. And there is that forever with the Lord we'll be. And that is our hope. Comfort one another with those words. So the chapter ends on hope. 
the chapter in the middle, he speaks of that your love for one another would abound more and more. He's going to give us some particular and practical ways that we can step into that. What about the first one? A people of faith in verses 1 to 8. Now, Pastor Ryan talked about those verses last week. And those verses center around our intimate relationship. It's, it, those verses in verses 1 to 8 speak to a marriage covenant. And the unique, the singular devotion within that marriage covenant. Not to seek the fulfillment that ought to be found within that covenant, either relationally or physically in other illegitimate places outside of the covenant. That's what he's talking about. Because when you do, you damage, you weaken, you tear at, you create distance within that covenant. Now, that's important in marriage because the marriage covenant, that singular devotion, a, a, a covenant of devotion to one in marriage is meant to picture something else. It's meant to let us ex have some experience of another singular devotion, another unique covenant, and that is the new covenant that we are in relation with God through Jesus Christ. And is to be a singularly, a unique covenant where we, are, we find our fulfillment in Him and in Him alone. It is only God that satisfies. And when we seek fulfillment other places that ought to be found in God and God alone, we begin to weaken our experience and our joy in that one covenant, that unique covenant. And so the covenant of marriage, and, and Jesus, or rather Paul, unpacks that for us. Ephesians 5 is one place where, where the veil is pulled back, and, 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 he, and he tells us very clearly, this is like this. The husbands, for instance, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That there's a parallel between those two covenants. And he, and he, and he goes back to the end, and, and what sounds like marriage, he says, I say concerning Christ and the church, that these two are related together. So the, the singularity of our faith and our devotion, our trust in one, is found in the first eight verses. Our, how we live out love toward others is seen in the next verses, and then the hope is found. So, again, chapter 4 puts before us this question. How do a people of faith, love, and hope in Jesus relate to people around us? More specifically, maybe this morning we could ask, how do a people of faith and love of hope in Jesus, if that's who we are, and that's an essential identity of Christians, I think. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. Our faith, love, and hope in Jesus. How do we relate to people around us in the midst of corona cautions or a corona crisis? I would suggest to you that, that, there's, a, that there, there's a range of experiences there's a range of reactions to what has happened in the last several days. There is a reaction of fear. Oh my goodness, what if I get it? Maybe, maybe I'm vulnerable. Maybe I, have, I, I, maybe I have what they call a comorbid condition. Now that just sounds bad. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds terrible. 
a comorbid condition, another condition, a weakness of lungs or a susceptibility to pneumonia. I've had asthma. I have a, a C, COPD. Um, is that right, CPU? Okay, great. And I must not have it. I don't even know what it is. The, but the, there, there's, there's vulnerabilities that we have that make a person much more susceptible and this virus much more dangerous to them with the lack of uh, immunity that is across our population. Fear is out there. Their frustration is also out there. They canceled school for how long? What am I going to do with these kids? <sighs> this is closed and that is closed and I can't do this. And, we're get- and March Madness? Are you kidding me? There's a frustration out there. What have they done? They're ruining everything with this panic stirred up by the media. There's simply disappointment. In the midst of things that are going on and things that are being done and efforts to protect the capacity of our healthcare system. Do you remember back in the swine flu? Anybody remember 2009? When they had tents in hospital parking lots. And that's where they put you if you had the swine flu. You came in with a fever to the emergency room and you were going to the tent. And if you weren't sick yet, you wouldn't be soon. But uh, there, there was your new home. And they're trying to avoid that. They're trying to keep a limited number of respirators for the people who need them. It makes sense. And yet, realizing that still, there's a disappointment. I'm still not going to watch March Madness. Right? Well, it doesn't matter. UNC wasn't in it this year anyway. I'm not going to get to see my daughter Becky in May because she was coming to Portland for a conference. I'm going to spend an extra week and the conference is canceled. We're not going to get to see our, our son Nate and his wife Kara. And Well, never mind Nate and Kara. We're not going to see their son Michael, our grandson. They were planning to, to meet Julie's dad in San Diego or go, go visit, and we were going to meet them there and be able to have some time together. And that was supposed to happen in April. Do you think that's happening? That's not happening. So there's losses that we're experiencing. Uh, there's economic loss that people are... And there's, there's disappointment that's being felt. How, how do a people of faith, love, and hope relate to people around us in the midst of Fear and frustration and loss and disappointment. Well, faith answers fear, doesn't it? Faith answers fear about what this virus will do and then so what I need to do to protect myself. Galatians 2.20 says that I, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by Jesus' faith. And Jesus' faith was such that he would trust himself to, to his Father even up to, into, and through death itself. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life and my eternal life. Of what should I be afraid? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus trusted himself fully to the Father's hands. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. If Easter was going to happen, if the resurrection was going to happen, God was going to have to do it. He could trust himself fully to the Father when he entered into death for us. We can trust ourselves in our Father's hands no matter what. Faith answers fear. We are able to then step into 
maybe the uh, fear of people around us. It's an opportunity, perhaps, to share our faith. We can live in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. Be fearful about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard, protect, garrison your minds in Christ Jesus. Faith instructs us to pray with and for people around you. Now, don't lay hands on them. Pray with them and for them. Love leads us not to minimize the fears of others, even if you're frustrated about all that's happening. There are people around us in danger, threatened by this. And maybe we ourselves underestimate the deadly virus of sin. Jesus didn't see Philippians 2 as an overreaction. Love calls us to serve in others' knees. Jesus is willing to leave heaven's glory to sacrifice all that he had in the prerogatives of, of God himself and to enter into this miserable, broken humanity for us. That's what love does. Rather than those miserable humans, look at them, this is ridiculous. He entered into it for us. He took on himself a burden that he didn't have to. Love calls us to serve others' needs. One of the ways that might look like, and I may come back to this a little later, but we could be grocery getters. There's a lot of folks. I was reminded by one of our deacons of, of a, well, he, he shared a story of a couple. Somehow they found a, an elderly couple in their 80s. They found somehow a, a, a parking space at the grocery store, but they saw the mob. It was worse than Thanksgiving, Right? They saw the mob, and they were afraid to go in. We're not supposed to be around a lot of other people. We are. This, this is dangerous to us. We're scared to go in there with all those people, but we need to buy groceries. And somebody parked next to them, and, 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 and the lady rolled down the window, and she got the, the, this other person's attention, and she explained her fear. They were afraid to go in, and she handed this complete stranger a $100 bill and their grocery list and said, would you be willing to buy groceries for us? Imagine the fear if you're willing to give a $100 bill to a complete stranger, hoping that they'll come back. Right? There, there are people that ought, ought, actually ought to protect themselves, and they will need to self-isolate, or some people who are going to have symptoms need to self-isolate, and yet, who's going to care for them? Who's going to bring some of those needs that they will have? We could be grocery getters. What if our church was able to put together a network that if you knew of somebody that needed that kind of help, if you, if, if you weren't able to meet it, you're able to let the church do, and we had a list of others who have said, hey, I'm going to be out of school for six weeks. I could do that. Right? High schoolers with a car and a mission. I love it. Right? It doesn't keep them off the streets, actually puts them on the streets, but we'll, we'll take it. What if we were grocery getters? What if we gave ourselves for others? Would you go to somebody's house with their groceries even though you knew that they are having symptoms and that's why they're self-isolating? Love will cause me to go to those in need. You know, I had a quote, somebody else who, 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 who texted me and said, hey, I'll do that. And this is what they said. I feel God will protect me, and I'm not afraid of dying, only of not living the life Jesus died to give me. Isn't that good? I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of not living. Not living the life that Jesus died to give me, of going for others. 
Hope comforts us in the midst of losses and disappointments. All these restrictions, all these cancellations, trips, and economic loss. Don't even look at your 401. Events you're going to miss, they remind us that our brokenness, our mortal brokenness, our humanity means that our satisfaction is not here, not yet. It is at his coming. Jesus endured loss for our gain. He gave up life in order for us to gain life in him. We can join then in someone's disappointment and show them our hope. People's confidence and health and future prosperity have all been threatened. Listen for ways. Listen as you talk with people. They share disappointment. Don't minimize that. Engage in that. Identify with that. Empathize with that. And point them toward where your hope is. Share the loss. Share the disappointment. And lean towards hope. That same outline. How do a people of faith, love, and hope in Jesus relate to people around us. How do we do that in terms of loving one another? That's the text that's actually before us today. Though. So now, with all that introduction, do I have any time left? We want to get into God's Word. I want to read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I invite you to grab the Bible in front of you. Uh, we'll be on page 987, or you brought your own Bible with you. That's wonderful, by the way. Thank you for that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, faith, love, hope. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. And to inspire to to live quietly, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, some of you got into verse 9 there, and he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for yourselves have been taught by God. So, don't need to say anything. Okay, good, we're done here, right? No. He, for some reason, he keeps going anyway. He said, God teaches you this. You know this. In fact, this this love one another is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus said, by this will all men know. The others, they'll know that you're my disciples. How? That you give yourself away for the sake of others. You love one another. That's where you'll show it. Because that's where he showed us. This is how we know love. That he first loved us and gave himself for us. That's how we know it. That's where we see it. And so we know this. This is inherent to the gospel. This, this, is, this is what the Spirit breathes into us. And so what Paul's going to do here, he's going to say, let me poke at that a little bit now. Let me, let me point you in a couple new directions concerning that. Let me help you see how we might apply that in a couple of directions. So that, and the purpose was at the other end, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders so that your life will reflect well toward others around you that do not share your faith and love and hope. So then, backing up then, what are these, what are these things that he says, this is how a people of love in Jesus relate to people around us? particularly in terms of loving one another. He says, love one another more and more. Let it abound. Let it overflow all the more. That is normal and natural Christian faith. 
Let love come from you, following Jesus and giving ourselves away. I will put your need before my wants or my desires. That's Philippians 2 basics. This is what, it, this is what faith in Christ looks like. Love one another. Love one another more. How do we do that? Well, he gives, he gives well, I, 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 I actually love verse 11. To, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instruct you. You know how I paraphrase that? To be quiet, do what you're told, mind your own business and do what you're told. Did I, did I do that? I, I think I missed, missed, I think I mixed up one of them. To, to be quiet, mind your own business, get to work and do what you're told. That's kind of how I would paraphrase that if I was trying to have a little fun with it. But he says, first of all, to aspire to live quietly. What's that mean? It's a different word than just to be at peace, to have the peace of God, or to even have peace with God, is to live quietly. It's to let your ambition be to be quiet. The, the quietness is, is in the sense of not agitating, of not arguing. I would put it this way. First of all, love others by arguing less. Let it be your ambition to not agitate. Do I think, why do I have a tendency to want to debate somebody, want to argue with somebody about something? Do I think that faith is more about being right or is faith more about trusting God? Peter tells us to seek peace and pursue it. To seek peace in relationship with others. And you know what that sandwiched around? If you went to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, you would find seek peace and pursue it right in the middle there. But around it you would find things like not returning evil for evil and not returning reviling for reviling. When others are talking badly about you, you don't then return and talk badly about them. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, verse 18. As much as depends on you... Live peaceably with all men. Now, as much as depends on you, because let's face it, it doesn't always depend on you, does it? There are, there are people that just want to argue. There are people that want to fight. There are people that want to debate. As much as depends on you, live peaceably. And again, Romans 12, 18, you know what it's surrounded by? Not repaying evil for evil. Not taking vengeance when wrong, but instead trusting the Lord. So it's not, it's not replying in kind. It's replying differently because God has called you to be different. No, no, God has made you different. This is who we are now in Jesus. And so that love leaks out of us and how we interact with the people around us. Jesus was willing to endure wrong. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to endure being wronged for you? Remember what he said Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't realize. Don't take it personally. Jesus said, they're going to hate you because they hate me. So when you run across that kind of a person, don't take it personally and don't respond personally. Now this may be for some of us who, who think we've been overrun by a corona panic. That instead of debating all of the issues, we will, we will have understanding. We will have empathy. We will convey care and concern for people around us that are more fearful. 
And, you know, we'll beware debate. One of the, one of the men in our, in our Monday morning group, he had a great image for this. He said, somebody told him years ago, you know, you can relax a little bit. The truth is on your side. Right? Relax. The truth is on your side. You know, we think of the word of God. It is, it is sharp. It is, is, it is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we don't need to get into any kind of arguments about the word of God. Have you ever thought of a soldier going into battle and he pulls out his sword and he's about to engage with the enemy? And what's he do? He said, hey, buddy, have you seen my sword? I have got a sword here and it is really sharp. Let me show you. You get a piece of paper, you know, run it through this side, that side. Look how sharp both sides. This is the latest Roman double-sided swords. I can cut this way and I can come right back and cut the other way. You better watch out for this sword if I decide to use it. A soldier would never do that in battle. He would never argue for his weapon. He would just run the other guy through with it. And he would bleed profusely. We don't need to argue about or defend the word of God. We just need to share what God has said with the people around us. And trust that God's word doesn't return void. It does accomplish its purpose. He said, relax, man. The truth is on your side. This guy was saying, you know, I love theological debate. And I think somebody wants to debate and, and, and tussle around a little bit. He said, I can be like a dog with a chew toy. Now think about that for a minute. Our kids have a golden retriever, and she loves her ball. She loves her chew toy. She loves to play with it, and she won't leave you alone. And she's chewing on that thing, and she's having so much fun. After a while, it's a little ooh. You know? It's like you don't have to be told not to touch. You don't want to touch anymore. It's not fun anymore. And, and debating and arguing with somebody can be like that. What, what started out maybe as an interesting conversation, if we're not careful, we, we don't want to let go of our chew toy and becomes a little ew to people around us. So beware of debate. When you seek to be sharing God's truth with others, don't argue. Along with that, mind your own business. Attend to your own affairs, it says. Don't meddle is Bob's two-word abbreviation. It's not our job to fix someone. Do you remember I said a couple weeks ago that Jesus did not come to make bad people good? So I don't need to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to bring dead people, life. That's our mission. I don't need to correct people. I don't need to fix people, especially people that don't know Jesus. That's not our job. Telling somebody what they should be doing. Oh, let's go back to the virus. Somebody else is not reacting in the same way that you're reacting or taking the precautions that you're, you're taking or that somebody said or whatever. And you're going to have all kinds of different re- reactions and responses to these sorts of things. And it's not my job to impose on somebody else what they should be doing, but they didn't ask for my suggestions. It's easy to go from conversation to meddling. Now you just swerve from conversation to meddling, one of our guys said. It's better to be invited in than to be kicked out of a conversation, isn't it? It's a lot better to be asked for what you think somebody maybe should do in the midst of these circumstances or decision that they face, rather than you volunteering and then saying, ah, really, no thanks. I really didn't ask for your input. Is your concern for them? Another way you can, you can tell meddling, is your concern for them based on their interest or your interest? 
Is your concern, is the reason you're engaging, what you're going to say, is it about their best interest or is it simply about what you think is right? Going back to the morality police there. We're not the morality police. In fact, normally to people around us, morality policing is not good news. Telling people around us who don't know Jesus the things they shouldn't be doing doesn't sound like good news to them. I heard an interesting quote this week. I figured I would, it would, it's got to fit into a message somewhere, so I'll just share it now. Francis Schaeffer, he said, if I had an hour to talk to somebody... If I had an hour to talk to somebody, he said, I would spend the first 55 minutes listening and asking all the questions I could so that in the last five minutes I might have something worth saying to them. And you say, well, we've got something worth saying. Why do we need to wait 55 minutes? That's because we're so sure that Jesus is the answer that we don't even care what the questions are. And the thing is, what if, because we listened well and understood where the heart really is at, understood what their fear or their disappointment or their loss really is, or their anger at God or at others, where that comes from, why they think the way that they think, if we spent the time, could it be that what we then shared might actually sound like good news because we know the point of need of the heart. We're quick to say what we think they ought to know rather than listening for what's really going on with people around us. Another caution here, though, in terms of meddling, balance it out a little bit. Check your default. Some of us back away. We didn't need a coronavirus to teach us to back away from other people. We didn't need to any reminders to not get involved in other stuff. Our default is to not speak up even when we should. Sometimes it's in parenting. Do you have one parent, maybe in a family, that is the back away one? Is the doesn't speak up even when they should one in the midst, and the other parent ends up carrying all the load, being the bad guy? You know, good cop, bad cop, right? Everybody wants to be the good cop. Check your default. If, if you're one that... Your default is to not engage with others. Maybe you need to speak up sometimes. Maybe you're missing times when somebody's actually asking when you should. If your default is to be quick to speak, hmm, maybe, maybe you should try to listen more. Remember the, remember the whole economy, the two ears, the one mouth thing, right? Uh, God designed that for a reason. But... but some of us are quick to speak right in what we think before we've heard. Others of us, ah, oh, we don't say what we should. So, so check your own default, first of all. Don't argue. Don't meddle. However, personally engage. Get your hands dirty. Work with your own hands. Be willing to work with your own hands. Be willing to get your hands dirty. Now, now wash them afterwards, right? We're washing our hands. You knew that had to come into the sermon somewhere. Contrast meddling, being concerned about what others' hands are supposed to be doing, 
Instead, focusing on what your hands are supposed to be doing. Now, Paul unpacks this. He unpacks it here by saying, work with your own hands just as we instructed you. How Paul labored night and day so that he could share the gospel without being a burden to others. He was able to then give to others rather than needing to receive from others. Paul was not dependent on anybody, and he says that here. There's something good about providing for your own needs so that you're not dependent on others. You're not a drain of others. Rather, you are able to give to others. That's how he unpacks it in Ephesians chapter 4. One of the reasons we give. Well, the focus of our giving is not for our own benefit and not for what we're receiving, but we give for the benefit for others. It's giving based on love. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. You've been made new. You've been given a new identity. You are not who you once were. He says, so then, let the one who stole. Here's the answer, in fact, to to one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Paul says, let the one who stole steal no more. But rather, Ephesians 4.28, let him labor working with his hands so that he might have something to share with those in need. Work, not merely for yourself to meet your own needs, but work so that you will be able to give to others. Now that doesn't mean that we're not also willing in the midst of needs, because none of us can meet our own needs fully. So we are dependent on one another. The body of Christ is intended to be dependent on one another. So we will share our needs with one another. We will care for one another. We will minister to one another. We will serve one another. We will look for the opportunities to meet one another's needs and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And yet he says, work with your own hands so that you're not in need. Rather, you're able to give. You have something to share with others. The purpose is not to be dependent on others. Rather, to be able to give to others. If you're going to give to others, that implies that we're not hiding needs from one another, but especially the church. Now you're wondering, how can I, how can I work with my hands? Especially with the whole coronavirus thing going on. You know, I don't want to be too close to other people, but how can I work with... We've got an answer for you. There's a work day coming up. And you can dig in, literally. You can get your hands dirty, in the dirt, Literally. And then you can wash them afterwards. We'll have plenty of soap and water, okay? Not even that hand sanitizer stuff. We'll go real soap and water. So we gather together next, next uh, Saturday, April, tw- May, March, March, March 21st. We're going to be gathering together. What are we doing? We're getting the church grounds ready because fear will subside along the way. And by Easter, there'll be a bunch of folks visiting our church. And when they come to visit with you because you've invited them and you've been praying for them, and when they come, we want, we're going to vacuum the floors, we're going to pick up the toys, we're going to get the house ready a little bit, right? And that includes the grounds around. And uh, so we will work with our own hands in order to prepare for that. But can I go back to the serving one another in the midst of this whole coronavirus thing? This is an opportunity for God's church. This is an opportunity for Brush Prairie Church. This is an opportunity for us to say, how can we meet needs of people around us? 
I would love it. I would love it if there is a network at work, formally and formally, that is reaching out to people around us, that is looking after some of our own seniors, but also pressing into networks of other seniors we know or seniors that our seniors know who are needing to self-isolate or somebody has come up with a cough and a fever and so they're supposed to stay isolated for two weeks and yet who's going to go shopping? Who wants to go shopping? You've seen the mess out there but you'll go anyway for them, right? College is out. You're going to study online whenever. You've got the time. High school shut down for six weeks. I got a car and nothing to do. I've got the time. Some of the rest of us, how could we interrupt our schedule, give of ourselves to take the opportunity? This is our moment. That's one example of a way, but there's got to be others. And how will we as a church step up and get so that if somebody doesn't know, wouldn't it be great if people were heard about this? That church does that. And some people, we don't even know, they're calling the church office and they're saying, hey, I'm, I've been shut in. I, I heard your church does this and we've got a list because you wrote your name on a white card this morning. We've got a list of people. We can, we can grab somebody near to them who would you'll make the contact you'll 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 go and get you'll bring it back they'll they'll reimburse you for the groceries and we will have met a real need in Jesus's name and we'll see where it goes from there wouldn't it be wonderful if we got that kind of name in this community that an elderly couple wasn't sitting in the parking lot wondering who would buy our groceries but they actually called the church and somebody did it for them and they thought to do that because somehow that got communicated out there that we'd be willing to interrupt our day for others. Wouldn't that just be a good thing for us to step into in the midst of all this topsy-turvy that when this is all gone, when this is past, when, this, when we're headed into summer or fall or whatever it is, we have developed a new reflex of interrupting our deal for the sake of somebody else. How will a people, how will God's people of faith, love, and hope in Jesus relate to others around us? We'll do it by loving more, by arguing less, by not meddling, but by personally engaging. We will roll up our sleeves and get to work with our own hands, and then we'll wash them. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you give us the opportunities? Would you help us, Father, to be able to step into what you would choose to do through us with friends and neighbors? Lord, with people in our own church body, those that aren't here this morning, maybe because the place where they live has said, don't go out. Visitors shouldn't come in. Lord, would you help us to reach out to people around us that are isolated, that are afraid, that need somebody to talk to, just need a, a phone call, perhaps, if not a visit. Lord, for us to be open and willing and looking and listening for ways that we could give ourselves for the sake of others. Lord, you have not given us a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, Father, we will not be afraid. In fact, Father, Send us. Use us for your glory. In the face of fear that 
is spreading in our community perhaps as fast as the virus. Lord, in the face of fear, would you call us to faith and love and hope, not only in you, but toward the people around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.